That was really cool. Good morning, everybody, by the way. Um, it's nice to see you all. Uh, that was really cool because I'm a behind-the-scenes guy, or I at least was on, in my career at ESPN for 17 years. And all of a sudden, in the last three minutes of my career at ESPN, the camera's on me. So it was, it was a little awkward. Uh, and they're saying nice things. It felt like I was being eulogized for a minute there, you know? It's like, I didn't die. I'm just leaving to go do something else. But it is, uh, it's awesome to see you guys. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. This, you guys got a great thing going on here. This is awesome. Pastor's gonna tell you about these mugs too, the perfect father mugs. Like, these are really nice. You guys got some good things going on here. Um, tell you a little bit about myself. This is uh, the first time I've ever spoken on Father's Day. And I've, I've done a little bit, a lot more speaking in the last couple of years, but never on Father's Day. And so this message of the perfect father is, is very personal for me. Uh, and very important, I think, for me as well to share. Um, like I mentioned, I worked at ESPN for 17 years and did Mike and Mike, and I did a bunch of other shows as well. Um, by the way, I had the dream job in a lot of people's eyes. Like, it was so much fun working at ESPN. They paid me to watch football on Sundays, guys. <laughs> think about that. Think about that for a second. Kids, you can make a career watching football on Sundays. Don't give up. Don't ever give up, right? You never know. And then I had a lot of people saying, well, why would you leave that? And that's a whole other story. I wish I had time to share it all. But I just felt like Pastor said, I felt like I had a call on the Lord, uh, from the Lord on my life to kind of pursue him more, to do more for him, and to kind of go into ministry. And so that's what I've been doing now, working with Sports Spectrum. Uh, which Pastor will tell, about, tell you a little bit more about at the end, but I'm hosting their podcast, which has been a lot of fun, and uh, writing for their magazine and their website. So I'm taking a lot of the skills that I had at ESPN and, and putting them sort of towards the, the Lord and his kingdom. So it's been a lot of fun. It's only been about three months, four months or so, but it's been a blast. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I just want to start real quick in Acts uh, chapter 17, verse 24. And it reads... Uh, and this is, by the way, out in the door, too. I just thought it was cool when I walked in, because none of the scriptures that I have today were planned, but there's a lot of connection into the scriptures that, uh, that you guys have been learning, so this is really great. Uh, Acts 17, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. That's a key thing here, seeking God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. And even some of your poets have said, for we are we also are his children. There's some versions that say his offspring as well. So that's just a really cool look from the book of Acts that we are God's children and that he is our father and that he loves us and that he's there for us and that he exists for us. Like that is just a really cool thing, but it took me a very long time, and I'll get to that as well, about understanding and grasping God as father. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, any Zach Brown band fans in here? Zach Brown band? A couple? So I like Zach Brown band. Um, there's some songs that I'm like, eh, but there's a song that just came out recently called My Old Man. And that song is a very powerful song and a portrait of, from his point of view, Zach Brown, the singer, of who his father was 
his earthly father, and then now who he is as a dad to his son. And that song has been played over and over, seems like on the radio and certainly in my house. My wife will tell you, please stop playing that song. <laughs> she's just so tired of hearing Zach Brown Band. But my daughter and I love it. My daughter is here as well. She's 13, and we love listening to Zach Brown Band, but that song always gets me when I hear it because portions of it I can relate to. I can relate to being a dad and the emotional sort of journey that that is on loving my daughter and raising her and just pouring myself into her life. But the other part is the part that I get kind of angry about, and it's about his view of his dad. He loved his dad. He had a great relationship, it sounds like, with his father, and he tells the story about how he worked hard to support his family and be there for him and kind of give him opportunities to be successful in life. And that is not the view I have of my own dad, unfortunately. So Father's Day has mixed emotions for me because for the last 13 years, it meant Sarah, my daughter. And it's great. I love Father's Day. I love being able to, to celebrate dads and, and all they've done and who they are and how vital, that's a big one here, how vital they are in a, man, in a, in a child's life. And so Father's Day is great in that respect, but for a long time, I don't really have any good memories of Father's Day. I don't have bad memories per se, I just don't have any memories. I don't have a memory of going out and getting a mug for my dad and going to see him on Father's Day and say, Happy Father's Day, Dad, let's just hang out. That didn't happen in my life. A um, little background, I was born in Rochester, New York, believe it or not. Um, yeah, you're all here, so that should be, you should be happy about that. Now, I left when I was six months old, so I have no memory of Rochester. But I was born here. I was born in Genesee Hospital. Anybody else born in Genesee Hospital? That doesn't even exist anymore, that hospital. It's like, what? I wanted to go see where I was born. It's not there. Oh, well. But I was born, uh, my dad, uh, out of college, his first teaching job, he wanted to be a teacher and, and pursue that for a long time, was at Penfield High School. So he was in Penfield, and he taught driver's ed, um, which I still look back and like, they pay full-time teachers to teach driver's education, huh? But that's what my dad did. Um, so he was in Penfield for a while uh, before I was born and then when I was born, and then we moved back to our hometown in Albany. I'm from Albany, New York. Um, yeah, a couple of Albany people, all right, 518, here we go. Um, <laughs> from Albany, and then now we live in Connecticut because of obviously working at ESPN. Uh, but that's my background. I was born in Rochester and then moved back to Albany, and you know, my mom and dad were, were only together a very short time. I, they divorced when I was six years old. Um, so I really don't have a, a really good memory at all of me with my, with my mom and dad together. Most of my memories are, are you know, being with my mom full time, and my mom was a rock. She's, she's the best mom you could ever ask for, and she really, in a lot of ways, saved my brothers and I and allowed us to have a very normal um, life and be able to go after the things that we wanted to go after despite not having that father figure in the home. Uh, and my dad, unfortunately, from a very young age, got into drinking, and alcohol became uh, a very addictive drug for him, uh, and it was that way for a very long time, for over 40 years. And so my view of the perfect father, uh, which is what we're talking about, it's on the mug, and that's kind of the theme for today at Father's Day, but the perfect father, from an earthly perspective, for me, was very stained, very tainted, uh, very skewed, and uh, I just did, I never had it, so I really didn't know what it was supposed to look like. I have friends who had their dads in the home, and their dads were at their baseball games, or their dads were with them in, you know, whatever it is, church or, or whatever, supporting them, and I didn't have that. You know, the only memories I had of my dad when he was around, because my dad tried, he just, 
couldn't kick the habit of alcohol, but he tried. But the only memories I have of him trying was when he was unfortunately intoxicated. So I had this sort of very messed up view of what a father should be. Uh, and it, it really hurt our family for a long time. My brothers, I have two younger brothers. So we have three boys, three Romano boys. And my brother Chris is the middle and my brother Damien is the youngest. And all three of us, you know, I, I think about the whole that not having a dad there for us left. And we had father figures and people who came into our lives, our coaches, my grandfather, George Romano, who died 10 years ago, but the greatest man I've ever known. He, he was the backup quarterback that came in when my dad wasn't available or wasn't around and just took the reins on taking us to practices and hanging out with us and taking us to the movies. Like he was a great substitute for my dad, but he wasn't my dad. I needed my dad. Every child deserves to have their dad in their life, and I didn't have that. So my snapshot of the father was just very skewed and messed up. That continued for a very long time for me. It continued well into my adolescent years, into my high school years, my college years. Uh, I went away to college specifically because I just needed to get away from that life that my dad, uh, my dad and all that. Unfortunately, it followed me many ways just by the, talking to him on the phone and seeing that he was still very, uh, very sick and, and just very broken. But through college, through you know, going into school to try and get a job in broadcasting, you know, and again, I thank my mom so much for that because without her, I wouldn't have had a direction to kind of follow and pursue my dreams and to want to go into broadcasting. Um, so I was able to do that and go to two-year school and then a four-year school and finish up and um, begin my career in local radio. And right around that same time, I met my now wife, Dawn, almost 20 years ago, and um, we married in 1999. And so we've been married 18 years and it's been great, but the idea after we got married, my focal point, I was in some ways obsessed with wanting to become a dad. And I look back at it now, we've done a lot of, uh, a lot of collecting of the thoughts. We're actually writing a book right now. My, I'm writing a book about my, my life story with my dad, um, which I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about at the end if we have time. But in looking back at this whole very dysfunctional, broken relationship that I had with my dad, I realized that the reason I wanted to become a dad so bad myself was because I wanted to be able to do the exact opposite of what my dad was for me, which was just in a lot of ways, just love and serve and support and be there for my daughter and give her the dad that I never had. Now, I believe this with all my heart, the best ability that any dad could ever have is availability, right? To be there with their kids. And my dad was never available to be with me and to support me and to, and to, to give me what I believe every child deserves, which is just to have a dad with them. Um, so I wanted to do that for a child so badly and my wife did too. My wife certainly, we, we both wanted to have children. That was, that was our goal right away after we got married and all of a sudden my two brothers got married and they're just having kids left and right and I'm like, this ain't fair, God, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm saying that to a God, by the way, who I don't even know. So to give you a little background on my faith, I grew up... Um, I grew up Catholic, I went to Catholic church, uh, but I, it was very a nominal faith for me personally. My grandfather was Catholic all of his life. He loved the Lord, he loved the Lord. 
And he'd take us to church every so often on Sundays, but we really didn't have a, a faith element in my home. My mom worked three jobs and was just trying to keep us afloat, like I said, to keep us uh, you know, in a semi-normal sort of childhood of being able to just achieve things and do things. But I really didn't have any kind of faith aspect in my life at all for a very long time. Didn't really care. I mean, once I got to ESPN in 2000, and uh, my, my, my wife and I, I mean, we had a very comfortable sort of normal life. We had a house and we were married and hopefully someday would have kids and a, a nice job and everything's kind of okay on the surface. In 1998, my middle brother Chris, all of a sudden radically gets saved uh, and, and accepts the Lord into his heart. And he changed like 180 from one person to another and you saw a real good change in him. In 2001, Mother's Day of 2001, as we're still hoping to have kids someday, so this is a year and a half after we're married and we're still not pregnant, my brother Chris brings me into a room and invites uh, me to sit down and he shares the gospel with me and I accept Christ that day uh, as my Lord and Savior. But there's a couple things here in this decision that I had made. The first one was that something was happening inside of me. There was like, uh, my heart was a little more open that day to hear about what this whole God and Jesus thing was. It just made sense, especially the idea of needing a savior, that we're all sinners and that we all struggle in life and we need uh, hope, we need access and a way to, to sort of uh, meet the Father God, right? So that made sense to me. And then the other one was that we weren't pregnant yet. So I was like, all right, if I bring this God thing into my life, I got this amazing genie right here in a bottle that I can rub and God will deliver us, <laughs> for lack of a better word, a child. And so having God on my side, I was like, all right, things are gonna be great, things are gonna be awesome, we're gonna have kids and we're gonna be ready to roll with God on our side. That is such a warped view of who God is and who Jesus is. But I was a brand new Christian, I didn't really know what I was doing and I also knew that God's plan is not always our plans. But we as Christians are taught and believe with the hope that's in the promises in the Bible that his plan is perfect, that his plan is amazing, and he wants nothing but to bless his children, right? So become a Christian, and it probably takes about another year, maybe 2002. So it was 2001, Mother's Day, when I became a Christian, when I accepted the Lord. It was on Mother's Day of all days, right? And then 2002 comes, probably a year later, and that's when I kind of grasped, grasped and understood what the gospel was, like who Jesus was, why God sent him to die on the cross for us, why we needed him desperately, why, you know, what salvation was, all of that. It made sense. So I, that took a year process of reading and praying and watching people on TV talk about God and, and, and seeking my brother for wise counsel. He, my brother is... I think the smartest person I know, and he was just wonderful in walking with me and kind of showing me what the gospel of Jesus was all about. But we still weren't having, we still weren't pregnant. And again, my brother Chris, who led me to the Lord, had two kids and a third pregnancy on the way before we ever got pregnant. That's almost, that's three pregnancies. My little brother Damien, my youngest brother, gets married, and I'm talking a month after they're married, he calls me, Jay, we're gonna be parents. What is happening, God? Why? What is that? And they were 22 and 23. And I mean, uh, they have four wonderful girls, my little brother. And God bless him. He's got four girls under the age of 14. Like, you know what that life's like. <laughs> I got one daughter. He's got four. Woo. But 
But watching that was very frustrating from a human perspective for myself and my wife. We cried together, we got angry together, and as I'm looking at God as Father and looking at Jesus, I'm like, why is this happening, God? Why are you doing this to us? So we prayed a lot to get pregnant, a lot. And finally, September of 2003, I wrote the number of months down, 45 months after we got married, after months of visiting doctors and infertility specialists and prayer, some prayer to a God we didn't know and some prayer to God, a God that we started to know and a God that we wanted to know. And all of a sudden, I get this call, believe it or not, I got the call from the doctor that my wife is pregnant. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the greatest day ever. Isn't that weird to say? That day to me, I've never felt the spirit of God in his presence like I have ever felt before than I felt on the day I found out my wife was pregnant. Because we walked through four years of just pain and I don't want to call it suffering because it's not really suffering, but like mental uh, anguish, just hoping like, God, we want to be parent, parents so bad. And finally, that culmination comes when I get the call and find out that my wife is pregnant. And it was a wonderful day. I weeped, I fell on my knees, cried out to God, just so thankful to him for answering my prayer. And it was an amazing day. And then nine months later, which was really, that should be the, probably the greatest day, but when you walk through infertility, and if anybody ever has, and you find out you're pregnant, you know like that is just an unbelievable feeling to hear God's answer to prayer. And we had to come to a point, by the way, where we had to accept that God may not bless us, by the way, with, with children. And we, that was very difficult um, to handle. But we did. Nine months later, June of 2004, just last week, my daughter celebrated her 13th birthday, our miracle child, the culmination of waiting five months, and she's here. And what an overwhelming feeling that is. <laughs> hey, look at her. She's not that little anymore, by the way. But an unbelievable moment to become a dad. But now, I had this answer to prayer and I had to turn around and be like, okay, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't have any example of how to be a dad. I don't have the example from my own dad of how to love my daughter, how to serve her, how to just be a dad to her. And that was very difficult for me. So I have this picture of my dad, then I have this picture of the dad I've become, and I've tried now for 13 years to be this perfect dad, to be there for her, to love her, to give her what she wants, to cry with her, to laugh with her, to you know, watch Star Wars movies together with her. She loves Star Wars, by the way. If I did one thing in life right as a dad, I raised her to love Star Wars like her old man does. So love that. But I am anything but perfect, and she will tell you that. Like, Dad, you know, okay, what are you doing here? So I failed on numerous occasions, and that's the crazy thing, that it took a long time for me to understand that we have this perfect Father in heaven, that we have this uh, Father who never leaves us, that Father who never abandons us, the Father who's always there with his arms wide open, waiting for us. And I never had that. So that was very difficult for me to bring that into my world for her. And so, uh, you know, that desire of a relationship that I wanted as a child with my own dad, now I could try and give it to her, but I under also understood that I was flawed too. It's so funny that I wrote Isaiah 64, 8 down when I was working on my scripture 
in my sermon about three weeks ago and then find out that that's your memory verse, guys. <laughs> so it was so cool to see that happen because I did not plan that. But it says, you guys know it, you can read it. And yet, O oh Lord, you are our father and we are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. So that word father, there it is, right? You are our father and that's Old Testament. And I read Acts 17, which is New Testament in the Bible, and it says, for we are also his children, or his offspring. So God, in this perfect way, sends his son Jesus to die on a cross for all of us, for you and me, so that we can have eternal access with the Father. That's perfect love. That's perfection that we can never achieve in our lives, as dads, as husbands, whatever. Like, that we can't even fathom that perfection. We can try, we can try to be more like Christ, we can try to be more like God, but we can't reach it because we're not perfect. Fast forward a little bit on the story of my dad. Uh, he struggled again with the alcohol through his 40s, 50s, and even early 60s. So I'm growing into this career as a husband, as a producer at ESPN, eventually as a, as a dad myself, and my dad is still just a mess, sick, broken. The alcoholism has, has just, you know, gone through the roof, but it also leads to uh, depression, severe depression, really bad depression. So the combination of alcohol and, and, and intoxication and depression is just not a good place to be, and my dad was unfortunately nailed right smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, to the point in the culmination of four years ago in 2013, when he tried to take his own life and he tried to end it. He was so depressed, he just did not want to live. Thankfully, he was unsuccessful in doing that. But that was a very poignant moment, as it would be, I guess, for many people, many children, uh, when their dad's going through something like that, for me to really examine my faith and examine my dad for a minute and say, okay, this man, if he was to be successful, unfortunately, but if he was to be successful in ending his own life, what would the view of him be from my perspective? Because I became a Christian at 27 years old, and 10 or 11 years later, even though I preached forgiveness, talked about it, talked about God's love for us, talked about Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, I could not forgive my dad. Couldn't do it. I was so angry with him. I was so just ticked off. My wife could tell you stories. I'm on the phone yelling at him like I am just so enraged and angry with him for what he had done and for bringing that into this family. So it took me a very long time to grasp the idea of forgiveness, and it wasn't until he tried to end his life when I finally looked at God and I said, all right, what do you, what do you want here from me? And I've never heard God's audible voice speak to me. It's not happened in my life, but I seek him in scripture and I seek him in prayer and certainly with fellowship and accountability and talking to others. And I really felt the spirit say, you need to forgive your dad. And I, Kept shaking my head, no, I don't. You forgive him, you're God, but I'm not gonna do that. And it finally, when you find out your dad's trying to end his own life, it really wakes you up to the point of like, all right, I have to do this. I have to, I have to make a choice and forgive him for what he's done to me. But honestly, guys, when we forgive, we're not allowing him to sort of be free and it's okay what you did. It's not okay what he did but it frees me, it frees ourselves when we forgive. This poison that it builds up, this anger, this bitterness inside of me was building up to the point where I needed to forgive him 
so I could be free of this. It was like this huge weight off my shoulders, which is so weird to say, but it really is true. When I forgave him and I called him on the phone and I simply said, Dad, this is about three weeks after everything happened, and he sounded horrible. He was in such a bad place, but I just said, listen, I'm so sorry that you're going through this and I forgive you. That was it. And I said, I don't care what happens from now on, wherever you go, if you continue to drink, if you continue to be stuck in your world of bondage or whatever, I was like, I forgive you. It doesn't mean I condone you. I still might have to set up boundaries in my life and my family's life, boundaries with my daughter to not see her grandpa if he's going through that. But I have to forgive you because God sent his son and he forgives me every day. So if I'm trying to be a Christian here, I'm being a hypocrite if I'm not forgiving my own dad when God has forgiven me every single day. And that was a very, very difficult thing for me to get, but I had to make that choice. And I know some of you are going through some of this in your own life, the unforgiveness. It may not be with your dad, it may be with just a friend or something happened. It may be something that you did or maybe something that was done to you. But I'm telling you that forgiveness was freeing. It really was. And uh, it helped me with the relationship with my dad, it did. Um, I'm gonna fast forward here, my time is, is very limited and I wanna kinda of get through this. Um, the idea of God as Father. God revealed through all this his perfect love, his perfection, that he wants that relationship with us, just like I wanted that relationship with my dad, my earthly father. He wants that relationship with every single one of us, that he doesn't leave us, he doesn't forsake us, he doesn't uh, make himself unavailable to us, he's always available, he's always there. And all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is call on him. And he's like running towards us right there. I'm sure I've called my dad many times as a kid. Dad, where are you? And he wasn't there. But God's like, hey, I'm right here. The prodigal son story where he's just waiting with open arms with his son. That's who God is. It's amazing. Malachi 2.10, real quick in the Old Testament says, do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? One father, all of us. God the father. Now, I'll end with this, uh, and I have some scripture in Romans if we get to it, great, but I just want to end with the story on what happened with my dad. So that day was June 15th, 16th of 2013, so it's almost four years ago. The last time my dad had a drink was June 17th, yesterday, 2013. So he's been now four years sober, and <laughs> praise God for that. Believe it or not, what led to his sobriety was not God. And, and as much as I would love to tell you the amazing salvation story that he's accepted Christ and he's walking with the Lord, he hasn't yet. And I'll continue to pray for him on that. But it was this simple medicine. I believe God created medicine for uh, many good reasons in that sense. And he found this amazing medicine through a doctor that he couldn't get for years that helped control the depression and helped control whatever, call it cravings or whatever. And he's able to have not had a drink in four years, which it still blows my mind to say that, and Donald will tell you, because what we went through, there were many times when I said to my wife, I said, this just isn't gonna happen. Like, this man is not gonna be able to change and, and become anything that's productive in this world ever. And now for four years, he's been sober, and it's really an amazing thing to, to, to even say out loud. And him and I are putting together some thoughts, as I mentioned earlier, and trying to write a book about forgiveness which is coming out at the end of this year and about our story. And I can't believe my dad gave me permission to tell all the bad things that he's done to us. But he said, Jay, if it can help one person with forgiving in a relationship, you gotta tell it. And I said, okay, dad. So we're writing a book right now, which is insane. Uh, and we're putting that together. Um, but I'm just so grateful for God and who he is because understanding 
who God as Father is was the key for me. And understanding that, and in Romans it says, I'm not going to read the whole scripture because of time, but it says, we are adopted as sons and we cry out to him, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And we are adopted into his kingdom when we say yes to God, and when we invite him in, and we become heirs, and we become children of God, that we might glorify him. That's perfect love, guys. That's the perfect father. That's who we need to ask into our lives. So right now, as we close, I want to... Um, I want to just pray for you guys, and you know, I, I'll finish with this. When I made Jesus Lord of my life, that made sense to me, Jesus as Savior. But what didn't make sense was making God Father of my life. And for a long time, I didn't do that. And I'm grateful that he revealed himself through that to, to just show me how perfect his love is as Father. And I believe there are many people in here today that have struggled with making God Father, not with Jesus as Savior, but as God is Father. So what I want to do is I just want all you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. Nobody looking around. And I'm just going to pray for you. And I'm just going to believe that God is here with us and his presence is here. And so for you who are Christians, who are believers in Christ, if you've made Jesus your Lord, awesome. But some of you, like myself for a long time, never made God Father, truly the Father of us the perfect father. So if you're here today and you've never made God the perfect father of your life, I want you to just slip up your hand really quick and then put it down and just say, God, I want you in my life as the perfect father. Amen. I see your hands. Amen. Amen. Just, God, be my perfect father. Whether you had a great dad in your life, whether you didn't have a father like myself, whether your, your dad may has, has maybe passed on, um, whether your portrait of a dad might have been great, your view of him, or not great. There's a God in heaven who says, I'm perfect, and I'm here, and I want to be with you, my child. So thank you for slipping up your hands. Let's keep our, our eyes closed and our heads bowed for a second, because I believe there are people in here, maybe you're a visitor for the first time, maybe, <laughs> maybe your son or daughter dragged you to church. I remember those days, too, with my brother. Uh, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you really don't understand or, or for a while didn't uh, grasp the idea of God as Father, but even more of that, that he sent his son specifically so, for, so we could be called children of God. So if you're here and you've never accepted Christ into your life, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. And you can say it quietly to yourself or you can repeat it, but just say it quietly to yourself is probably better. And just say, Lord... I am a sinner, I'm messed up, I'm broken, I am not perfect. Come into my life, Lord. Come into my life, Jesus, and save me. I repent, Lord, I, I'm asking you for forgiveness because I've screwed up, I've messed up. So come into my life and make me new and make me whole. So pray that prayer, and if you've done that, Lord, just again, raise your hand briefly and slip it down if you made Jesus the Lord of your life for the first time. And I just want to pray with you and believe with you that God has amazing things planned for you in your life. Thank you, Lord. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll bring Pastor up. Lord, we thank you. God, we are so grateful for who you are as the perfect father, and I am grateful of what you've done in my life, Lord, and what you're doing in the lives of everybody here at Browncroft. Father, I just pray, and I love saying that word, Father, because that's what it's about, Father. I just pray that you would continue to work on the hearts and the lives of the men, women, and children in this room. 
and that, Lord, you would be uh, revealing yourself continuously every single day that we might pursue you not only as Lord, not only as Savior, but as Father. Father, I pray that you would bless everyone here for the rest of their day. Have a great afternoon. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks.